companies are actively looking for alternatives to musculoskeletal surgeries in an effort to drive down costs and increase patient outcomes and satisfaction. What's working? And how can your clients benefit? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. You know, we've talked a few times on the podcast about the large drivers of claims costs. And of course, with more people considering or reconsidering partial self-funded or self-funded, if you prefer plans, all of these claims data become hyper important. And you try to do what Willie Sutton, the famous Boston bank robber, answered when they finally caught him. They said, Willie, why do you rob banks? And he said, that's where the money is. So if you're looking to you know, deal with claims, you want to go where the money is. And one of the major drivers, and it has been for a long time, is musculoskeletal. And so we always look for folks who are trying new approaches, innovating, being novel in ways that maybe keep people away from the knife and offer alternative therapies that are not only less expensive, but provide better patient outcomes and certainly higher patient satisfaction and all that great back-end stuff. And so we asked Mark Testa to join us today. Mark is Executive Vice President at Regenex, and they're doing some really cool stuff, and we thought you'd like to know about it. Welcome, Mark. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So let's start with the scope of the problem. Can you give us some idea of the kind of money that's being spent on musculoskeletal claims, especially around the surgical area? Yes. So for most self-funded employers, and probably most employers who are paying for the care for their employees, musculoskeletal costs are in the top three expenses of the medical spend. So it's very high. It's probably about 5% of the overall musculoskeletal or the costs of healthcare, about 5%. So in the trillions of dollars or high billions of dollars, it's a big expense. And musculoskeletal problems affect humans you know, greatly. It's one of the biggest things that send us to the doctor's office. I think it's number one, if not number one, it's number two reason that people go to the doctor because we have musculoskeletal pain. Spine and knees and shoulders are some of the most common painful areas that cause us to suffer. And, you know, obviously the doctors try drug therapy where it's applicable, but an awful lot of people end up going to the cutters. They end up in a surgeon's office. Why is that? Well, you know, conservative care runs its course, right? No one's getting any younger. And so things that helped us in the past, like maybe non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or steroid injections, which come with really both of those, a lot of risks. We've certainly seen what opioids can do to us as humans. They just run their course. And even conservative care, like manual therapies, chiropractic, acupuncture, physical therapy, sometimes they just cease to be helpful. And so, 
you know, with that, there's not been another option other than to cross this chasm from conservative care to surgery. There's not been any other options. And so people make this leap sometimes hoping that, you know, they're going to go to sleep and wake up and be all better, like changing an oil filter in the car. And we know that's just not the case. It's just, you know, orthopedic surgery has its risks and failures as well. And so, you know, when conservative care stops working, they just leap this chasm. And I spent the majority of my career, about 20 years as a chiropractor and acupuncturist in full-time practice working in an integrative setting. And so I had saw firsthand, whether I was in primary care, pain management, orthopedic surgery, hospitals, you know, even sharing the office with the surgeons, sitting at the same desk with them, that that wasn't even the best option. But people didn't have any other options prior. So they went to see the surgeon looking for a solution to their pain. Now, we've interviewed some folks on the program who are doing some very interesting things in the PT side of the business, in the physical therapy side, and some innovative techniques. You guys are kind of going in another direction. So in a nutshell, so that mere mortals can understand it, what kind of avenue are you pursuing? I say we're at the pinnacle of conservative care. So we're not really on the surgery side at all. We're using a needle-based approach and using the patient's own blood platelets and bone marrow concentrate, which is where stem cells also live, to concentrate those cells, take them out of their body, concentrate them, and then using image guidance, ultrasound and fluoroscopy, place those cells back into their damaged or diseased tissue to get the body to have the local repair cells work harder, longer to help them get out of pain and improve their function. Is this something that's brand new or has this been used in other areas before? Well, it's we've been doing it in the United States for going on 17 years. Our founder, Dr. Centeno, was the first person in the United States to use bone marrow concentrate in orthopedic conditions. Now, it's been being used in Europe, in orthopedic surgery in Europe, since the mid to late 90s. So it's not really new by any stretch of the means but it's, you know, it's not common, certainly in the self-funded space until we kind of entered into the scene. So it's been around for a while. It's got a good safety profile. There's a lot of data published on it now. The platelets, which your listeners might know as platelet-rich plasma, has, I bet you, over 100 now randomized control trials testing it against conservative care in many of the same procedures that people would get surgery for. And so we can look at that data and say, you know, this works better than conservative care, steroids or high algin, and can help people put off the need for elective orthopedic surgery for many years. So is this what we colloquially hear about as stem cell therapy, or is this something different? We don't call it stem cell therapy, but we are using bone marrow concentrate, which is where the stem cells live in our body and concentrating those and injecting those back into the body. Some might call it orthobiologics, where we're using your own biology in an orthopedic-type setting. Stem cell therapy sort of is a vague term that could mean a lot of things, and we want to be clear that we're using your cells in an orthopedic setting to you know, get your body to improve function and reduce pain. Now, is this something that's FDA approved? Is it still experimental? Is it in that middle ground? 
This is considered investigational by the uh, Blue Cross United Cigna and Aetna's. And so it is considered investigational. Now, so those are two questions. Let me handle that one first. FDA okay. is a different story. So it is considered investigational by the BUCAs, but an employer can amend their summary plan description and add this to their benefits. We've had great success with independent TPAs working with us this way, over 50 of them, and over 50 stop-loss providers mirror that amendment. And so it allows the employer to add this to their benefits. It's, you know, when we look at some of the rules around what the book is considered investigational, it's research. There's tons of research on this now. Again, going back into the 90s, hundreds of platelet-rich plasma ones, more than, I don't want to say hundreds on bone marrow concentrate, but I bet it's getting close to that now in orthopedic space. We've got the world's largest safety paper on this. It's the second of its kind. So that was another definition that the book has used. Not enough research, not enough safety, but we see that it's very safe. Others are prevailing, meaning could we replace 7 million orthopedic surgeries in the United States? And the answer to that is no. But we can be prevailing for an employer, meaning we can address their needs locally in their community. We have SOPs, so there's you know certain protocols that we follow, again, part of the BUCA definition of investigational. And so when we kind of knock those off point by point, it gives confidence to an employer that, yeah, this makes sense. We can reduce the need for up to 70% of elective orthopedic surgeries. Depending on the surgeries that we can avoid for an employer, we can reduce the cost by up to 70%. And so you know, that allows them to feel comfortable adding this to the plan, the TPA working with us and the stop loss mirroring that. Now, FDA is a different conversation. This does not fall under FDA jurisdiction. This falls under the physician's license in their state to practice medicine. FDA has specific guidelines regarding more than minimal manipulation, and we're not manipulating the cells. We're concentrating the cells, so we stay out of that crosshair. We're using what are called autologous cells, so they come from you, they go right back into you. That's another definition. And then homologous use, meaning that bone marrow concentrate is used to, you know, stimulate ligament, cartilage, bone, and tendon repair. And that's the use that we're using this. We're going to use this back into the bone. So it came out of the bone. We're going to place it back into the bone. And those three definitions are, you know, keep us in the compliance side, keep us focused on the physician's practice of medicine, and probably will never be anything that becomes an FDA-approved protocol because, you know, what's it take to get a drug to market? A lot of money, a lot of years. And when we're using your cells, there's really no big upside. There's not a big markup on your your cells that are going to make anybody billions of dollars. So it's likely never going to fall under a, an FDA jurisdiction as long as you remain compliant in those three areas. And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. 
Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. It's interesting because to me, all of these joints are mechanical things and they get wear and tear. And that's where you start having problems. Is this applicable to everybody? I mean, if, if I have a bad knee and I'm, I'm about to maybe consider surgery, do I have to have a certain kind of patient profile in order for this therapy to be effective? Is it better on some people than on others or some conditions more than others? Yeah, that's a great question. So we stick in our lane of musculoskeletal type of osteoarthritis, maybe rotator cuff tears, ACL tears, spine problems, degenerative conditions. So we're not treating autoimmune disease of the musculoskeletal system. We stay in that, you know, wear and tear type aging, trauma, injury. Now, we feel confident that we can replace up to 70% of elective orthopedic surgeries, not car crashes, not trauma to the degree that, you know, you fracture your pelvis in a car crash or something like that. And so not everyone's a candidate, right? So American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery says roughly 3% of a plan will have an orthopedic surgery. We feel pretty confident if we can intervene on about 2% of that plan that gets us in that ballpark. Now, it's not for everyone. So we know for guys our age, men over 55, 50, 55, it doesn't really work well in hip osteoarthritis. How do we know that? We have the world's largest registry where we're tracking the outcome of over roughly 35,000 patients. So with thousands of data points. So we can go back to our inception and look at who did well with what and determine. And so we know that for a fact. We have published papers on rotator cuff repair. We know not everyone with a rotator cuff is going to respond. If that cuff, if that tendon is shredded and pulled apart more than a centimeter, this is not going to be a good procedure for you. If you had a clipping injury, say in football, and you tore your ACL, medial collateral and medial meniscus, you might need to have surgery on that. That said, we have seen full ACL repairs using bone marrow concentrate where that ligament has got some fibers still attached and is not, again, separated by more than a centimeter. Avascular necrosis where there's bone death that can happen with steroid use, whether they're oral steroids or injected steroids, and we've seen plenty of that. There's four gradings of avascular necrosis. We can help the first two, but not the, you know, not as it deteriorates into grades three and four. And all of this really ends up boiling down to the physician's expertise, the musculoskeletal exam, looking at the imaging, the medical history, and determining from there. And everyone is given a grading. You're either a good, fair, or poor candidate. And on the self-funded side, if you're a poor candidate, we're going to recommend that you probably move forward to have surgery. We're not going to risk doing this and having it fail. But if you're a good or fair candidate, it's likely something that would be beneficial. Is this something that most physicians are aware of, especially, I mean, if they practice in the orthopedic realm, and are they comfortable recommending this? You know, there's still a lot of, I mean, it's becoming more and more ubiquitous. When I started working with Regenx 11 years ago, we were definitely an outlier. 
I was just looking at a, an article published in the American Academy of Arthroscopic Surgery. So it's making it into the surgeon's journals. It really is getting there. And so primary care providers are hearing more about it, but they don't really have much training on it. So we're doing what we can to help educate them. They are starting to see more of it. I don't know that they're comfortable recommending it yet just because they don't have much experience with it. The orthopedic surgeons are on two sides of the fence, right? Some feel that it's not ready for prime time because they want to continue to do surgery. Sure. Interventional providers, anesthesia, pain docs, physiatrists, or physical medicine and rehab docs, they're really aware of it because, you know, they've been doing steroids and burning nerves and injecting hyalgin and seeing the limitations of those treatments. So, you know, like all good docs, you know, we want to help people get better, not just band-aid their symptoms. So they're pretty aware of it. I was just at a conference not too long ago, last month, and this was a big topic for the most of the conference. And so subsets of physicians are becoming very, very aware of it and are adding it to their practice because nobody really wants to just burn nerves, give steroids, certainly opioids, and they want to really help people get better. So it's getting there. It's definitely getting there. It's much farther along than it was you know, certainly 15 years ago, 16 when we started or 11 years ago when I started Regenex, it's, it's getting there. And, and, you know, in the news with sports, NFL players, you know, people hear about it that way as well. So consumers are hearing about it and they go to their doctor asking for it because at the end of the day, really no one wants to have surgery. So what's the differential? What's the delta between your treatment modality and the facilities charge that we see coming out of a hospital for, you know, a knee or a hip or, you know, whatever joint it might happen to be. What could an employer expect to see in terms of Delta? Yeah, that's a great question. So first it costs nothing to add to the plan. So there's that. We do these in physician's offices. We've got all the tools we need in a physician's office. The suite is set up for this. So there's no facility fee at all. And 95, 99% of people require no anesthesia. So there's no anesthesia fee. And then when we look at our average cost last year, average, you know, between the platelets and the bone marrow concentrate, it was $5,500. Now, we did a little, like, what is the average cost for orthopedic surgery, which is really, you know, anybody's guess since costs are all over the place. But right. we kind of looked at, you know, the low of maybe a carpal tunnel and the high of a spine surgery roughly $25,000. It could be more depending where you live. When you look at an average cost of surgery at roughly $25,000 versus an average cost of a, a one of our procedures at $5,000, it's a demonstrable difference right there. You know, we track all this and we share that data with an employer looking at what surgeries we helped them avoid versus healthcare blue book costs on those and we see anywhere from a 40 to 70% cost savings. And then the soft cost savings, right? Drug use is less. Downtime is significantly less. You know, can really days, not weeks or months. Rehab can be less. And so there's all these other savings along the line versus just the orthopedic surgery costs. Well, and, and quality, patient quality um, metrics. I mean, I think I would guess that recovery time is a lot less pain is a lot less, you know, somebody replacing a knee is a whole big deal and months of physical therapy and all of that kind of stuff. So, and you went exactly where I was going to go. There's hard costs and then there's what I, I would call soft costs. But, you know, if I'm faced with the option of having a knee replacement or trying what you guys are doing, I'm a happy camper, man, platelet me away. And so, 
you know, the, the fact from a patient standpoint, I mean, right now, user experience is really the holy grail of differentiation on which plans and which benefits employees have. And if you're an employer and, and you can provide a rich set of benefits that include some of these options, I think patients and members are, are a lot happier than if the only option is surgery. I mean, years ago when I was selling, I had a lot of surgeons as clients and I know what surgeons like to do. They like to surge. You know, they're happiest when they're cutting. But this is really fascinating. Where We've got a minute or two left. Where do you think this is going? What's the trajectory of this? I think we're going to continue to see this move and more and more into the whole orthopedic space. I mean, TRICARE added PRP in 2019 for tennis elbow and knee osteoarthritis. I mean, they've got 9 million covered lives. I think we're going to continue to see employers, not only employers, but fully insured adding this over the next five years. I mean, if we're going to get a handle on costs, this is certainly one way to do it, right? And all the other things that come with surgeries, recidivism, and things like that. So I think we're going to continue to move in this direction. I've seen it really pick up a rapid pace in the last three or four years, and I think it's going to continue to move in that direction. Quick question, quick answer. Have you had any take-up from the Bukas, or, or is it something they're interested in yet? We've had conversations with them. The innovation team with one particular Blues was really interested. They were really ready to move forward with us. And then the brakes were slammed on by sort of the policy people. So I think we'll somehow, I stay in front of them on a regular basis. Hopefully we'll at least get a pilot project on a couple conditions and be able to show them what we already know. Oh, fascinating stuff. And that's a great place to end our conversation today. Mark Testa, Executive Vice President at Regenex. Mark, thank you so much for sharing this innovative procedure and, and your expertise with our audience. We appreciate it. David, thank you for the opportunity. Greatly appreciate it here as well. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.